Chapter forty five of The Bent Twig by Dorothy Canfield. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty five That our soul may swim, we sink our heart down, bubbling under wave. Unquote. The two sisters, their pale faces, grave in the shadow of their wide hats, were on their knees with trowels in a border of their mother's garden. Judith had been giving a report of Lawrence's condition, and Sylvia was just finishing an account of what had happened at home, when the gate in the Osage Orange hedge clicked, and a blue-uniformed boy came whistling up the path. He made an inquiry as to names, and handed Sylvia an envelope. She opened it, read silently. "'Am starting for America, and you at once, Felix.' She stood looking at the paper for a moment, her face quite unmoved from its quiet sadness. The boy asked, Any answer? No, she said decisively, shaking her head. No answer. As he lingered, lighting a cigarette, she put a question in her turn. Anything to pay? No, said the boy, putting the cigarette box back in his pocket. Nothing to pay. He produced a worn and greasy book. "'Sign on this line,' he said, and after she had signed he went away down the path, whistling. The transaction was complete. Sylvie looked after the retreating figure, and then turned to Judith as though there had been no interruption. "'And you can see for yourself how little use I am to him now. Since he got Cousin Parnelia in the house, there's nothing anybody else could do for him. Even you couldn't, if you could leave Lawrence. Not for a while, anyhow.' I suppose he'll come slowly out of this to be himself again, but I'm not sure that he will, and for now I actually believe that he'd be easier in his mind if we were both away. I never breathe a word of criticism about Planchette, of course, but he knows. There's that much left of his old self. He knows how I must feel. He's really ever so much better, too, you know. He's taken up his classes in the summer school again. He said... He had a message from Mother that he was to go back to his work bravely, and the very next day he went over to the campus and taught all his classes as though nothing had happened. Isn't it awfully, terribly touching to see how even such a poor, incoherent make-believe of a message from Mother has more power to calm him than anything we could do with our whole hearts? But how can he? I can't understand it. I can't bear it, to come in on him and Cousin Parnelia in their evenings and see them bent over that grotesque planchette and have him look up at me so defiantly, as though he were just setting his teeth and saying he wouldn't care what I thought of him. He doesn't really care either. He doesn't think of anything but of having evening come when he can get another message from Mother. Mother! "'Well, perhaps it would be as well for us not to be here for a while,' murmured Judith. There were deep, dark rings under her eyes, as though she had slept badly for a long time. "'Perhaps it may be better later on. I can take Lawrence back with me when I go to the hospital. I want to keep him near me, of course. Dear little Lawrence, my little boy. He'll be my life now. He'll be what I have to live for.' Something in the quality of her quiet voice sent a chill to Sylvia's heart. "'Why, Judy, dear, 
after you are married of course you and arnold can keep lawrence with you that'll be the best for him a real home with you oh judy dear she laid down her trowel fighting hard against a curious sickness which rose within her she tried to speak lightly oh judy dear when are you going to be married or don't you want to speak about it now for a while you never write long letters i know but your late ones haven't had any news in them you positively haven't so much as mentioned arnold's name lately as she spoke she knew that she was voicing an uneasiness which had been an unacknowledged occupant of her mind for a long time but she looked confidently to see one of judith's concise comprehensive statements make her dim apprehensions seem fantastic and far-fetched as judith always made any flight of the imagination appear but nothing which sylvia's imagination might have been able to conceive would have struck her such a blow as the fact which judith now produced in a dry curt phrase i'm not going to be married sylvia did not believe her ears she looked up wildly as judith rose from the ground and advanced upon her sister with a stern white face before she had finished speaking she had said more than sylvia had ever heard her say about a matter personal to her but even so her iron words were few sylvia i want to tell you about it of course i've got to but i won't say a word unless you could keep quiet and not make a fuss i couldn't stand that I've got all I can stand as it is. She stood by an apple tree, and now broke from it a small, leafy branch, which she held as she spoke. There was something shocking in the contrast between the steady rigor of her voice and the fury of her fingers as they tore and stripped and shredded the leaves. Arnold is an incurable alcoholic, she said. Dr. Rivedale has pronounced him hopeless. Dr. Sharton and Dr. Pansard they're the best specialists in that line, have had him under observation, and they say the same thing. He's had three dreadful attacks lately. We, none of their treatment does any good. It's been going on too long, from the time he was first sent away to school, at fourteen, alone. There was an inherited tendency, anyhow. Nobody took it seriously. That and, and the other things boys with too much money do— apparently everybody thought it was just the way boys are if anybody thought anything about it except that it was a bother he never had anybody you know never never anybody who her voice rose threatened to break she stopped swallowed hard and began again the trouble is he has no constitution left nothing for a doctor to work with it's not arnold's fault if he had come out to us that time in Chicago when he wanted to, we—he could, with Mother, to— Her steady voice gave way abruptly. She cast the ravaged, leafless branch violently to the ground and stood looking down at it. There was not a fleck of color in her beautiful, stony face. Sylvia concentrated all her willpower on an effort to speak as Judith would have her, quietly without heroics but when she broke her silence she found that she had no control of her voice she tried to say but judith dear if arnold is like that doesn't he need you more than ever you are a nurse how can you abandon him now but she could produce only a few broken inarticulate words in a choking voice 
before she was obliged to stop short, lest she burst out in the flood of horror which Judith had forbidden. Broken and inarticulate as they were, Judith knew what was the meaning of those words. The corners of her mouth twitched uncontrollably. She bit her marble lower lip repeatedly before she could bring out the few short phrases which fell like clods on a coffin. If I, if we, Arnold and I are in love with each other, she stopped, drew a painful breath, and said again, Arnold and I are in love with each other. Do you know what that means? He is the only man I could not take care of. Arnold, if I should try, we would soon be married or lovers. If we were married or lovers, we would soon have... She had overestimated her strength. Even she was not strong enough to go on. She sat down on the ground, putting her long arms around her knees, and buried her face in them. She was not weeping. She sat as still as though carved in stone. Sylvia herself was beyond tears. She sat looking down at the moist earth on the trowel she held, drying visibly in the hot sun, turning to dust, and falling away in a crumbling, impalpable powder. It was like seeing a picture of her heart. She thought of Arnold with an indignant, passionate pity. How could Judith? But she was so close to Judith's suffering that she felt the dreadful rigidity of her body. The flat, dead tones of the man and the pantheon were in her ears. It seemed to her that life was an adventure perilous and awful beyond imagination. There was no force to cope with it save absolute integrity. Everything else was a vain and foolish delusion, a two-edged sword which wounded the wielding hand. She did not move closer to Judith. She did not put out her hand. Judith would not like that. She sat quite motionless, looking into black abysses of pain, of responsibilities not met, feeling press upon her the terrifying closeness of all human beings to all other human beings. There in the sun of June, a cold sweat stood on her forehead. But then she drew a long breath. Why, there was Austin! The anguished contraction of her heart relaxed. The warm blood flowed again through her veins. There was Austin. She was rewarded for her effort to bring herself to Judith's ways, when presently her sister moved and reached out blindly for her hand. At this she opened her arms and took Judith in. No word was spoken. Their mother was there with them. Sylvia looked out over the proud, dark head, now heavy on her bosom, and felt herself years older. She did not try to speak. She had nothing to say. There was nothing she could do except to hold Judith and love her. There was nothing, nothing left but love. End of chapter 45